Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that, that we can come together as a church body, that we can come together um, in, in I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Sometimes a small group um, idea has, the, has a wonderful concept, but we miss some of the interaction with people. I just thank you that we have this format that we could all uh, be able to in, uh, interact with one another and just hear how God is working. You are working, God, through other people's lives. And I just thank you for this. Sunday school. I, I never want to take it for granted. It's an opportunity to teach some of the neat doctrines that you uh, have uh, in uh, placed in your church, um, the truths that we have, you have revealed, and we ha- as a as a body of Christ uh, get a chance to study and deepen our understanding of. So we pray that your Spirit would guide us through this, that we would have a growing appreciation for your your bride, the church, and your son's bride, the church, and that we would uh, want to see her become more and more pure as we become more and more pure, as we become more and more holy, as we become less and less under the control of sin and, and truly you know, love to obey your, your truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so the study again is Paul Tripp, his book on Do You Believe? 12 his- Historic Doctrines to Change Your Everyday Life. Love the fact that he puts change. We're looking for change in our lives, transformation. Um, this week we're studying the doctrine of holiness. You may or may not remember. We, we take a doctrine and then we figure out the following week how it applies in our lives. So although we'll do a little bit of that through some questions that are asked today, next week really is getting into the practical side of it more so. Um, if you'll notice, I'm using green highlight to indicate every time that we're going to um, go into a structured conversation of uh, um, whether it's a question or just an opportunity to share. It doesn't mean that you guys can't respond back. It just means that if you want to look ahead to know, oh, we're getting ready to read a section. What's the question I'm going to be asked at the end of that question or at the end of our reading of that? You can look ahead and know what that is and and begin to prepare some thinking on that and and be able to expound on it. So with that, let's go ahead and use our uh, usual format. Mark, you've got it. Okay. Um, Let's go ahead and just take a paragraph at a time and we'll, we'll get this going. There is only one living and true God. He is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure spirit. God is holy in all his purposes, in all his works, and in all his commands. He is due whatever worship, service, and obedience he is pleased to require from angels, people, and every other creature. And lots of verses. Yeah, tons of verses. Go ahead. Uh, you can just pass it on or do whatever. If you want to take another one, you're fine. Understanding the doctrine of the holiness of God. All children have a powerful capacity to imagine. It's the thing that makes the world of a child surprising, delightful, captivating, and wonderful. My granddaughter demonstrated this ability every time we are together. She carefully makes me tea and a sandwich. But the cup is actually empty and the plate has no sandwich on it. Yet... She has the ability to see both, and she's delighted when I tell her what a wonderful cook she is. This is what makes the life of a child so interesting. Sadly, as we grow into adulthood and real concerns of relationships, employments, finances, diet, and more fill and control our and more fill and control our minds, our ability to imagine dims. So he's going to talk about imagination, and he's going to give in this next paragraph more context as far as what he's going to define as imagination so we have a biblical understanding of it. But I thought it was, it's really neat. 
um, that, you know, sometimes uh, uh, we can get a negative view of imagination. Oh, all you do is you sit there and you sit off in your corner and you just imagine this or you imagine that. And it's a negative in our society. And he's giving a perspective that this is a godly good thing to imagine. It is good to be thinking creatively. Um, and it's not just, he's going to, again, he's going to give context to it. But I want to I want to preface before we read this next paragraph is, is imagination is good for Christians. It's good for all, all of us, but it's, it's good. Now let's find out the context and uh, how that is, is good. So go ahead. In matters, in matters of faith, imagination is important. When it comes to faith, imagination is not the ability to conjure up what is unreal, but the capacity to perceive what is real but unseen. Mm. When the center of your religious system is surrendering your life to a God whom you cannot see, touch, or hear, Imagination is very important. Hold on right there, babe. That's my wife for those who are listening to on this, on this video. <laughs> I don't call every woman in the church babe. Um, the, uh, um, the, think about that. Well, look at that statement. Look at how important imagination is when we have a God that we can't see, touch, hear. Oh, my goodness. We need imagination. We need to be able to, to, to take in our minds what it means to relate to a God who we can't see, touch, or hear. Uh, see, touch, or hear. Excuse me. So go ahead, uh, Cindy. Now, to enable you to do this, God has done two things for you. First, he has given you a dual sight system. You not only see physical things with your physical unseen... Oh, I'm sorry. You not only see physical things with your physical eyes, but you have another set of eyes, the eyes of the heart. God has given you this set of eyes so you can see the unseen world of spiritual reality. The problem is that the sin that affects all of us renders us all spiritually blind. What the eyes of our hearts need to see, they cannot see. So God blesses us with the light shining, sight giving, eye opening ministry of the Holy Spirit so we can see what cannot be seen with the physical eye but is every bit as real. Okay. So he's going to talk about holiness, and he's going to go into the component of moral purity and otherness as the two components that he's dealing with holiness. Sometimes holiness is seen as the overarching attribute that all attributes come underneath. Um, There's the truth to that, and I can appreciate that as well. But as far as this study, he's dealing with otherness, completely different than, than anything else, and moral purity. So the question I want to pose is, as it relates to holiness, who is the holiest person that your physical eyes have ever seen? Can you? I'm saying that because I'm, I'm staying away from the spiritual realm. I'm staying away from um, that which is, uh, I, I, I'll put it in the positive. I want to stay in the physical realm. What you have, someone you have engaged with or interacted with or you, you, you I don't know, maybe you, it's, it is only a video thing and you watch this person, you appreciate this person as far as maybe it's, it's a another uh, preacher that you watch your sermons every week or something like that, and you go, man, that, that person seems so holy. That If I could be, that's, that's what I think what God intends for us to be, and that's what I'm, I'm headed towards. That's, what I, that's, that's a goal. I have something, I can see this character played out of moral purity in this person, and that's what I want to try and achieve in honoring God. Any, any examples in your lives? We've got one over here. I think my wife and I are, I have a, just one mind because she turned to me and get, said the name 
that, that I had in my mind of who I was going to talk about. His name is Bob Moffitt. Uh, I've known him since we were I was a freshman in high school. And he uh, founded an organization by the name of Harvest, oh, some 40 years ago. And uh, he works around the world, basically, to teach uh, churches to how to bless their neighbors with the um, uh, resources that they have. Mm. And um, I've been on a a trip or two with 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 Bob. In fact, uh, one of our first my first trips with him was uh, down to into Mexico to to Pozonalco, uh, a little village up in the mountains that uh, we were thinking about sending a high school group to um, do some uh, physical work to help this uh, little little village out. And I was down there twice with him, and uh, Lita was the uh, Mother of the for the girls that were on that trip, and she spent what was it two weeks down there. But just getting to, to know Bob and observe him in action, uh, you knew that he had something very special uh, in him. And uh, he, I don't know how else you can explain it, but when when both of us looked at each other and said the same name at the same time, we we both saw it. Mm, that's great. Anybody else have a person? Okay, we've got. Uh, here we go. We'll go back and then we'll come forward. Very good. We're good. We got time. We got time. I want to hear some examples. Go ahead. The first person that came to my mind was my mother. Hmm. Um, she is such a sweet and loving person, and uh, a godly person. I remember as a child seeing her reading her Bible every morning, and. Uh, she was, of course, active in the church, and um, as a mother, she was kind and gentle, but she could be stern. I mean, you, you knew when you did wrong, and she wasn't, wasn't uh, uh, I mean, she, she would discipline us when necessary, but I don't remember her ever um, losing her temper or having a bad day or um, a bad attitude, um, and I mean, she had some hard times. My dad uh, got polio when I was four years old, and he was a paraplegic till the time he died at age 75. And she was right there for him all the way and never complained as we were growing up. She tried to make life as normal as possible for us and never said things like, oh, it's too bad about your dad if, you know, that other than we um, could do this or that, or I'm sorry, we can't do that because your dad, you know, nothing like that. Just made us, uh, uh, just took it all as God's, God's will. She ac- accepted that. Uh, we prayed for his healing. Um, I remember prayer meetings in our living room, praying for my dad. Um, but it got to the point where they just accepted this was God's will uh, for him. Mm. And today she's 95. She's in memory care um, and doesn't know much. But she still loves to sing hymns. And she still reads her Bible every day and she's known for that in the the home yeah something interesting on that singing hymns real quick when we sing we tend to create pictures in our mind of what we're singing the imagination kicks in by through singing and that Mm -hmm. will trigger memory uh, when there's that connection of two of those working together exactly she was choir director at our church for like 30 years and she plays the piano and she knows all the songs all the hymns yeah 
Um, and one time she was going into surgery and she seemed very, um, I was with her before she went in and she seemed um, nervous and anxious. And I said, Mom, let's pray. And so I just prayed over her and she totally relaxed. She had a smile on her face and went into surgery. So she still has the, the Holy Spirit in her heart, even though she doesn't know much about what else is going on around her. Praise God. Praise God. Uh, PJ, did you want to jump in? Sure. Yeah. And then uh, I'm going to make a comment and we'll go on. I was just going to say, I, I definitely don't have a person in mind. I, my, as soon as I read that question, honestly, I just naturally cringed. And I thought, it's a trap. This is a trap. I'm like <laughs> describing no, it's not a human, a trap. Uh, describing a human as holy. Like uh, I just immediately started feeling like an emotional reaction to reading that question. Um, so that's all I ha- that's all I have to contribute is that is that I think I think at this point um, you know I've been sitting in a church with people for over three years saying where we say together that we're the chief of sinners, and um, I believe all my fellow congregants, and I believe myself when we say this. Um, so it's just thinking of anyone as described as holy hmm. feels uh, wrong. Sure. I, sure. I, I'm not saying it necessarily no, no, is, no, but no, it feels, it feels wrong. <laughs> you know, was, I'm sorry about the, giving you the shakes, <laughs> the tremors. We'll go one more real quick. Okay. So in the study of theology, we have what are known as communicable attributes of God and incommunicable attributes of God. So the incommunicable attributes are things regarding God's transcendent glory, like his, well, actually all of his attributes relate to that, okay, relate to his transcendent glory. But they're things that are like the omnis, like that he's omnipresent, omnibenevolent, um, omniscient, and omnipotent, Right. Holiness, although it might seem like an incommunicable attribute, okay, this, in other words, these incommunicable attributes are things that we cannot um, become more like God in, okay? We can't become more all-powerful. Right. He, we can't do that. One. Right. Those, yeah. that's, those are the incommunicable attributes, the omnis, that, and that kind of thing. Um, and the holiness, although it might seem like an incommunicable attribute, we're commanded to, to become holy, Right. So there is. So, yeah. But there is also um, in chiming in with what PJ was saying. um, Holiness is also used as kind of a summary attribute of God, too, like summarizing all of his attributes. Right. Mm. Um, That his glory and greatness are kind of summarized in his holiness, his holiness being that he is transcendently greater than all his creation and that he's morally pure. So we talk about at least the morally pure part, we are to become more holy. Absolutely. Anyway, anyway I'll leave it at that. And I, I, at the same time, I appreciate the humility of uh, PJ with that. Yes. Well, oh, absolutely. One, one of the things, one, oh, two people I thought sleep. of. So in my, uh, I got an opportunity to go to Indiana uh, for a couple of my courses for my biblical counseling. Um, and I'd spend a week there. Uh, with the other students and with the teachers. And those were the most impactful because you got to interact with the teachers. Well, I had one teacher, Kevin Carson, who did self-counsel. So he basically taught us how to take what we had learned and counsel ourselves, and you realize how sinful you are before you ever step in their room when try and help another sinner. And it's amazing how through that week he kept demonstrating his own sinfulness, and yet he was growing in holiness in my understanding of him because of the 
the, you could hear the growth over the course of his life as he was giving these examples, whether it be in his marriage or the raising of his children and whatnot. And I found myself wanting to be in his presence because he was, because he was so other. He was so different. And what, what I was wanting to be, the student wanted to become like the instructor. The, uh, um, another one was uh, uh, Bob Kellerman. Bob Kellerman uh, taught how, the course on what does it look like to help a Christian understand transformation and that process of being transformed or sanctification, we sometimes refer to it. You know, and you're, you're sitting there saying, come on, give me the tools, give me the tools. I, I need this. I, I understand the, the theology. I just don't understand the practice of how to do, bring it. So you're listening intently. And again, he starts un, un, unfolding all of his sinfulness and how he's done wrong in his life and all the different areas and whatnot. And you start to realize how godly this person is and his humility in this area. He becomes so other-like. He's not, he's so different than what I'm, you know, you normally you see the pastors, oh, they're up, up and they're on a pulpit and they're separated from everybody else and the pastor's so, so perfect. And as he, the more you realize that that's not the case, the more you realize he has, he is transparent in his progression and what God is doing and in his humility, I see a sense of holiness that I was attracted to. I'll give you an example of him. I got a neat, uh, reached out to him in a study. We Oh, the study of sufferology we did we, back as a uh, Sunday school. Back in the fall, we did that. We went through 12 weeks of suffering. Um, that was uh, what he had taught, uh, um, one of the things he taught in his course. And so I reached out to him to say, hey, what about this question or that question? And I said, you know, you do the old, you know, hey, how's everything in your life right now? And he goes, well, I, I've left the seminary. I've left the, the, basically everything, and I am in full-time ministry for my wife. My wife is, uh, is in this place. She is no longer physically capable. She's been struck with this disease that has incapacitated her. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Here's a man that says, oh, you want to know what, I, what I'm supposed to do? Right there. Here's, here's the woman that I love that God has given me. This is my number one ministry right now. And I just thought, again, the, the, the otherness. How many of us would just detach? You know, Dr. Kellerman is no longer Dr. Kellerman as far as the world is concerned. He is husband Kellerman. And it's just, it's just that otherness, that willingness to love at that level that really struck me. And what, I'm, what I want you to hear from this is that otherness attracts Christians. The otherness of God attracts him, to, attracts us to him. So when we, when we dwell on the otherness, the holiness of him, it's a good thing because our hearts are pulled towards him. We want that, whether it's moral purity or complete otherness and personhood as far as who he is as, um, as God. So let's, with that in mind, let's continue forward with our study. I was going to mention a name did come to mind for me, actually. Okay. The younger people probably don't know, but Dr. D. James Kennedy came to mind. Yeah, what a godly man. Amen. Okay, so we're on the all of this. I just want to make sure I was in the right paragraph. All of this is critical to understand before we begin to unpack the doctrine of holiness. Why? Because what we're about to consider is dependent upon the illumining ministry of the Spirit of God to open the eyes of our hearts to see. This is so far beyond anything in our normal experience that we have no comparisons or categories to help us understand it. If you are a believer and not at all... uh, Yes. If you are a believer and 
at all biblically literate, then you know that the Bible, without equivocation, declares that God is holy. The prophet Isaiah, at the moment of his calling, receives a vision of the Lord sitting on his throne with seraphim on either side, and he hears one seraph make this declaration to another seraph. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What on earth is the line there? The... The is holy. I don't know what that is. Uh, anyway, God is holy. Or I don't know. Something's funny with that. The whole earth is full of glory? There it is. Yeah. It's funny with my eyes. That's the problem. <laughs> the whole earth is full of his glory. Take note of the emphasis made in this declaration. It wasn't enough to say... <clears throat> what is wrong with this? I need my glasses, I guess. It wasn't enough to say God is holy... No, the seraph had to say holy three times to capture the depth and breadth of God's holiness. It's as if I were to say, say to you, I saw this guy at the ball game who was huge, huge, huge. <laughs> you would know right away that this was not an average big guy. You would know that this guy was the biggest guy I'd ever seen. Holy, holy, holy is meant to stretch the boundaries of your imagination. Whatever it means to say that God is holy, you need to know that he is an entirely different category of holiness. He is much holier than you ever thought holiness could be. Which is kind of going back to PJ's point. Uh, Combining what Sean said, we are on a trajectory to become more holy, and yet we could never, on this side of eternity, achieve the holiness that uh, God had designed for us because of sin in our lives. Let's continue on. But even the thrice holy, holy, holy was not enough for the seraph as he tried to capture God's holiness. He adds, the whole earth is filled with his glory. How great is the holiness of this God? Great enough to fill the whole earth. These words are crafted under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to take your imagination where it has never gone before. They are meant to blow your mind with a thought that God is not like anything you have ever encountered before. Amen to that. Mm. They, are to humble, they are to humble you with a realization that God is foundationally unlike you. They are intended to help you to understand that you are now dealing with someone different from everyone you have ever dealt with before. He is holy, holy, holy earth-filling and gloriously holy. He is holy unlike anyone or anything that has ever been called holy. He is the sum and the definition of what it means to be holy. When compared to God, nothing that exists is holy. He is holy, holy, holy. Okay. Um, I have here highlighted, stop and pray that the eyes of your heart would open and that somehow, some way, you would get even a, a, gl- a little glimpse of the mind-blowing grandeur of his holiness. Why? Because seeing his holiness will change you and the way you live forever. Would someone like to pray for us? I can do the prayer, but would someone like to pray that prayer, that the eyes of our heart would be opened? When he said that, I thought, you know what? Let's take that to, let's do that right there. Because we need the Holy Spirit to give us the the, the vision that is uh, capable for us to have. Go ahead, Sean. Dear Father, we we come to you this morning. um, We, with humility, as we contemplate 
your holiness, your greatness, your majesty. Um, your holiness is made of these things and of your purity. Um, you are infinitely majestic and infinitely pure. We pray that you would open our eyes to these truths, O oh God. Um, these are the truths, Lord, that set us, when we contemplate them, Lord, they set our hearts in the right posture before you, a posture of, uh, of humility, of reverence, of uh, subjugation to your authority, mm. um, and in, of delight in you. Only contemplating this attribute of yours can do this for us, Lord. We, uh, we pray that you would help us in this. And, and as we do, that we would worship you rightly and become more like your son. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's continue with our study. He's going to break this down into two areas, again, that I mentioned early on. Go ahead, Kaylin. Uh, what does it mean to declare? What does it mean to declare, as the seraph did, that God is holy? Our word for holiness comes from the Hebrew word kadosh, which means to cut. Real quick, she said it right. It's kadosh. She's good with languages. Good job. Uh, Keep going. First, to be holy means to be cut off or separate from everything else. It is to be in a class of your own, distinct from anything else that has ever existed or will ever exist. God is uniquely separate and different. There is no comparing to God. We can't say God is like X because there is nothing in all the universe that he is like. We also understand things by comparing them to a standard. In sports, for instance, there are standards by which we evaluate an athlete's potential. But there is no standard by which we can measure God. He is above all and the one who creates the standards by which his creatures are measured. His holiness leaves us searching for descriptive words, but the words seem inadequate. God is the great other, separated, unique, and different from any other thing that exists. Okay, so that paragraph dealt with his otherness, completely different in essence. Um, and let's, let's take a look at this other aspect. Second, to be holy means to be completely pure, all the time and in every way possible. God is so completely true, true pure that he is distant and unlike everything and everyone that exists god is in a moral category that we have never encountered before he occupies a moral space that no one has ever occupied before god is in his pure in his essence something that we have never seen or experienced before he is holy we have no experience or frame of reference to understand what he is like because there is nothing like him there's a mind blower let's continue on But there's even more to be said. God's holiness is not an aspect of what he is. No, God's holiness is the essence of what he is. If you were to ask, how is the holiness of God revealed? The only right answer is in everything he does. Everything God thinks, desires, speaks, and does is utterly holy in every way. He is holy in every attribute and every action. He is holy in justice. He is holy in love. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in power. He is holy in sovereignty. He is holy in wisdom. He is holy in patience. He is holy in anger. He is holy in grace. He is holy in faithfulness. He is holy in compassion. He is even holy in his holiness. It is what he is. Exodus 15.11 asks, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? 
And 1 Samuel 2.2 declares, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. And I'm actually going to answer question number two and move on. The question I, I, I was going to pose was, but why is this doctrine so foundationally important? Hopefully you're catching that understanding God's holiness uh, from a, the perspective of otherness and his moral purity is a step in allowing our minds to imagine and be taken over by the awe of God, and God uses that to change our desire for that which is so much less, the lie that says that sin is good. When you compare anything to God, you realize it it falls short. Well, sin is the ultimate falling short. It is the opposite end of the spectrum of God. So that's why this doctrine is is one of the reasons why this doctrine is so uh, important, at least as it relates to our transformation. Let's continue on. The holiness of God. The holiness of God sits at the center of the grand narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without the holiness of God, there will be no moral law to which every human being is responsible. Without the holiness of God, there will be no divine anger with sin. Without the holiness of God, there would be no perfect son sent as an acceptable sacrifice for sin. Without the holiness of God, there would have been no vindication of the resurrection. Without the holiness of God, there would be no final defeat of sin and Satan. Without the holiness of God, there would be no hope of the new heaven and earth where holiness will reign over us and in us forever. The biblical story would not be the biblical story if it weren't were not written and controlled at every point by one who is holy all the time and in every way. I'm going to read that last statement again. The biblical story would not be be the biblical story if it were not written and controlled. I, I like that. God is in control of the, of the plan he has revealed to us at every point by one who is holy, completely other, completely morally pure, all the time and in every way. If he ever stops being that, being holy, we don't have salvation. And hopefully that we, we go, wow, I, I, I just need have a need to, to, to stop and, and demonstrate my appreciation, whether it's prayer or worship. I just, I can't, this, this is unimaginable as far as who God is and what his holiness means directly to me. His holiness isn't just something, oh, that's cool, he's holy. I want to be like him, which is what I, what I was trying to attain in a works-based faith. His holiness makes possible that all of this plays out exactly the way that it's designed to play out because of his holiness. Okay, let's continue on. Any explanation of the holiness of God must lead us to seek and celebrate his grace. It is because of his grace that we know that our Lord is holy. It is because of his grace that we are accepted and not rejected by him. It is by grace that we are comforted by his holy rule, because by grace it is not just for his glory, but also for our good. It is because of his grace that we become aware of the gravity of the sin that infects us all. It is because of grace that we run to God for help and not away from him in fear. It is because of grace that God appointed his perfect son to be the perfect sacrifice for imperfect people. It is because of grace operating within us that we experience both the conviction of sin 
and a desire to live holy lives. And it is because of grace that we have been invited to live in God's holy presence forever and ever. R.C. Sproul said it this way. R.C. Sproul said it in this way. When we understand the character of God, when we grasp something of his holiness, then we begin to understand the radical character of our sin and helplessness. Mm. Helpless sinners can survive only by grace. Our strength is futile in itself. We are spiritually impotent without the assistance of a merciful God. We may dislike giving our attention to God's wrath and justice, but until we incline ourselves to these aspects of God's nature, we will never appreciate what has been wrought for us by grace. Even Edward's sermon on sinners in God's hands was not designed to stress the flames of hell. The resounding uh, accent falls not on the fiery pit, but on the hands of the God who holds us and rescues us from it. The hands of God are gracious hands. They alone have the power to rescue us from certain destruction. Continue reading up the top there, Robert, page three. The holiness of God decimates our autonomy and self-sufficiency and drives us to the Savior, who alone is able, by his life and death, to unite unholy people to a holy God. God reveals his holiness to us not as a warning that we should run from him in eternal terror, but as a welcome to us so that we would run to him, where weak and failing sinners always find grace that lasts forever. We'll continue on in the interest of time not answering or not sharing that section. Let's just keep reading. I want to get to the last question. As I near the end of writing this section, grief began to sweep my heart. It is impossible to do justice to the majesty of God's glory within the limited boundaries of human language. My writing caused me to reflect on the sad fact that this most stunning reality of life, one that would shape how I think about everything, not only doesn't always fill me with awe, but sometimes doesn't even get my attention. Perhaps an illustration might help explain my sadness. All right, when, whoever's going to read next, I want everyone else to realize as they read, you will begin to imagine. You will create a picture in your mind connecting this story and embedding the story in your mind through that imagination. Imagination is a good, godly aspect that we are given. Let's go. Everywhere you go in Dubai, you are confronted with the Burj Khalifa, the world's largest, the world's tallest building. Impressive skyscrapers are all around Dubai, but the Burj Khalifa looms over them all with majestic glory. It dwarfs buildings that would otherwise leave you in mouth-gaping awe. As you move around Dubai, you see all these buildings, and you say to yourself again and again, how in the world did they build that? But the Burj Khalifa is on an entirely other scale. 
On a sweatingly hot Dubai morning, I got out of the car and began to walk toward this magnificent feat of architecture. Even from far away, it was hard to crank my head far enough to see all the way to the top. The closer I got, the more imposing and amazing this structure became. As I walked, there was no thought of the other buildings in Dubai that had previously impressed me. As amazing as those buildings were, they were simply not comparable in stunning architectural grandeur and perfection to this one. Even though it was hot, I would stop every few minutes to take it in, snap a few pictures, and comment on what I was seeing. Okay, so we don't miss it here. As he's describing this, this should be the steps we take. I'm I'm using that metaphorically and actually kind of playing with the word there because as he's stepping closer, that what happens to us as we study the holiness of God. So make that connection now. That This journey he's getting closer to this building is the journey to studying more and more the holiness of God and what it did to him in his heart and what it did to all of a sudden everything else it didn't have the importance it once had when he was not looking at that building. That building, that massiveness, the otherness of that building gave him a, a, an awareness, an appreciation, an awe of it. Okay, let's continue through. When I had finally got to the base of the Burj Khalifa, I felt incredibly small, like an ant at the base of a light pole. I entered a futuristic-looking elevator, and in what seemed like seconds, was on the 125th floor. This was not the top of the building, because that was closed to visitors. As I stepped to the windows to get a feel for how high I was and scanned the city of Dubai, I immediately commented on how small the rest of the buildings looked. Those small buildings were skyscrapers that in any other city would have been the buildings that you wanted to visit. They looked small and unimpressive and not worth and worthy of any attention. Let alone awe, I had experienced the greatness which put which put what had impressed me before into proper perspective. Mm. This story illustrates the grief I felt after writing about God's holiness. By means of God's revelation of himself in scripture, I have been able to experience the heights of his glorious perfection. I have been able to consider what the true perfection of holiness looks like. I have been able to see that there is no perfection like God's perfection. There is no holiness as holy as God's holiness. If you allow yourself to gaze upon his holiness, you will feel incredibly small, and what has previously impressed you and commanded your awe will do so no more. It is a good thing spiritually to have the assessments of your own grandeur decimated by divine glory. But here is what makes me sad. I don't always live with God's holiness skyscraper in view. I don't always look at everything else in life from the height of that perspective. And when I don't, not only do other things seem bigger and more impressive than they are, but even unholy things can get my attention. All right. Let me jump in here. I'm going to tweak this question a little bit. 
who has heard Edward's sermon, or at least I'm familiar with, uh, enough with it, uh, the uh, hands... Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Has anyone heard of that sermon? It's a sermon about how the, uh, uh, you, you stand in the midst over the, the flames of hell um, in the hands of God, realizing that um, you could, that you deserve to be in that, uh, let go, so to speak, into that abyss or that burning, that, 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 the, the, that which is where you would go otherwise if not for God. The, and I'm, I'm doing a poor job of exegeting that as I, as I think through it, but that's it in a gist. What I'm, what, I'm, what I'm guilty of, that you may have also been guilty of, is the scariness of the fire, of the flames, of what, what lies behold, be, below if God were not to hold you in his gracious hands. I'm guilty of looking at the fire and the pit and the consequence and not at the graciousness of God. I'm guilty of looking at the problem and being in awe of the bigness of it and how it overwhelms me instead of the God who is in control of all things and can get me through the problem. So let me now, with that preface, ask, and maybe it's rhetorical because we're running out of time, the last time you were anxious... When we are anxious, we are giving our attention, we are giving awe, potentially, to that which overwhelms us versus making sure that we, although it's tempting to have it overwhelm us, we shift gears and in our minds we realize that we are ultimately in the hands of a good and gracious God. You want to say something, PJ, real quick? Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I th- it's this, uh, it is a very challenging mental balance um, because uh, Adam, uh, Eve's fall um, was a consequence of not understanding the distance between her and the holiness of God. Mm. So when you, th- I mean, sin comes out of you thinking you're closer to God in status than you are. And yet, as you study that and dwell on that, it's easy as Christians to get stuck in a, dark uh, place of anxiety or despair of being so far away from God um, that then you're underweighting the significance of what Christ did in bridging that gap and chasm between um, uh, between God and our holiness because um, we have to be holy. So it, to me, when you say anxiety and some of these things, it's every time I sin, I realize, well, I just thought I'm the holiness of God and I can dictate what is right and just and good. Mm. And then, on the other hand, I've been on the side where I'm, I'm focusing more on dwelling on how much more holy God is than me, that you um, lose sight of the significance of what Christ has done and the, the positive aspect. That's good. Um, my hope in this, um, this study today is to realize that God's otherness and holiness shouldn't drive us away because he is so other. It should draw us to him because he can take care of, he can advance us in our own holiness because he is so other. If he were like us, we would not advance in our transformation. Because of who he is in his moral purity, he is trustworthy and faithful to transform us. Don't run away from him. Run to his holiness. 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for your holiness, your complete otherness, your moral purity, the fact that you cannot lie. There is nothing in you that could be deceitful. Father, you are an amazing God. Our imagination struggles to get some picture of this in our minds because of you are so distinctly different in essence than, than who we are, your creation. And yet you, you challenge us. You challenge us to imagine and use that imagination to grow our heart's desire, to realize in our hearts that it is that distinction that, that allows us to, to want to be like you, to be drawn to you, to go to you in dependence and say, I can't do this holiness without you. I need you. I'm dependent upon you. Use that this week. Help us to, to reflect when we're tempted to sin or when we have fallen before we quickly race to say, oh, please forgive me and be done and, and, and barely dwell on the, re, the change that needs to come about from our sinfulness, Father. Help us to dwell on your holiness and allow that to help us be transformed more and more into the image of your Son. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.